Hello, everybody, and welcome. And this is the Midnight McBride Show, show number 50. Get in, 50. My special guest in the studio today is called Paris, Paris Brooks. And Paris is a crypto... How are we going to say it, Paris? Currency enthusiast. A crypto currency enthusiast. And we've called this show Midnight in Paris. And before you say anything, it's because of my favourite movie. So Midnight, Midnight, <laughs> Midnight in Paris. I love it. How are you doing, Paris? Yeah, yeah, I'm really well, really happy to be here. Thank you, you? Yeah, I'm delighted to have you in the studio. I was lucky enough to be put in touch with you via Liam Brown, who's become a good friend of mine now. And he said, recently, I know basically nothing about crypto. You know, I I thought I did, (laughs) but I'm realising how little I know. And because of current situations and circumstances in the world Mm -hmm. a lot of people spiritual people as well had started to ask me about it and said did i know anybody and what do i know about it yeah 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 yeah. very limited knowledge but all of a sudden it's become very very relevant crypto you know and people that weren't really interested in money because they're concerned about what's happening at the minute are becoming very interested and this is something you've studied for quite a while isn't it yeah (laughs) yeah i'll briefly say Last night, I saw a shooting star, and I haven't seen one for a few years, and I looked up to this guy just before we were obviously doing this show, and I see that as a really, really good omen. And so I went in and meditated, I'm going to swear, meditated like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I meditated for about half an hour because I know when you're experiencing synchronicity and alignment, it's really good to manifest. And there was a yeah. new moon yesterday as well, so it was a that good was. time. Yeah. Powerful, man. You're also part of a men's group. and Liam's been attending that men's group as well, and I'm going to attend that men's group. I'm going to be coming. Full power. Also, something that's unique for this show is I have never had to set the cameras up to accommodate an afro, (laughs) 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 which is quite unusual because the cameras are set to pick up a particular frame, but if you suddenly increase the height by six inches, you have to pan out, and then it picks up other things. So you're a challenge, Paris. You're a challenge. So before we get into your life journey, if you've seen the show Parish, you know what we do is we talk about somebody's journey. Yep. And I say your past doesn't define you. It's just the view on your journey to this present moment. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. But it's really good to find out what drives somebody, what motivates them, and why they're doing what they're doing. It's really yeah. good. The background's really interesting for me. But before we do that, what we'll do... And then obviously we're going to talk a lot about crypto and I'm going to pick your brains with my limited knowledge and hopefully I'll leave here wiser. But what I want to know is give us maybe a a bit of an outline about crypto. What, What is it? What's crypto? So I suppose cryptocurrency, when you speak to people that don't know about it, the first thing that comes to their mind is Bitcoin, right? Uh, The reason being Bitcoin is the first mover, it's the first in the market. Yeah. It's the the one. So crypto Um, covers... There's lots of different types of crypto and Bitcoin's one kind. Right, correct. So it's the the original first mover, but cryptocurrencies moved from there to now to not just be cryptocurrency, but you also have, for example, um, utility uh, tokens or coins. So they're used for a specific purpose rather than as a currency. They can be used as a currency as well. That's not their initial function. Um, So cryptocurrency broadly is a virtual digital currency that is um, cryptography. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and that's just obviously um, as a security measure. Yeah. I, I know from my experience, when I first found out about Bitcoin, 
It was people selling and buying drugs on the dark web. Yeah. You know, and I believe that a lot of criminal fraternities now, you know, Russian mafia and stuff, they they, they invested in it a long time ago and, and, and use it, yeah. you know. So you can buy a lot of things that they won't take cash anymore in some instances. That's exactly how I heard about uh, Bitcoin yeah. was through the dark web. Yeah. Whereas now, I think people are viewing it in a very different light and it being a, a possible saviour of if, you know, banks were to crash and things like this, where there's a another option where your mm-hmm. money might be secure. Yeah, 100% right. This yeah. is the newest asset class since the 1600s. Right. I'm going to nod and pretend to know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what I find funny is, I remember Liam saying, oh, I know this guy and he's, uh, you know, he's a crypto expert. I know you don't want to call yourself that, but a guy that's yeah, yeah, very yeah. knowledgeable about cryptocurrency. And then I saw a picture and I thought, well, the guy with the pointed shoes with the tight jeans and the afro, he's the guy. <laughs> because unfortunately, as human beings, we do judge a book by its cover a lot of the time and yeah. we make assumptions. And you are not what I was expecting at all. But when that was sort of a double-sided coin, because when I found out it was you, I thought, we're definitely yeah, going to get yeah, it on yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because obviously you've got a bit of a story to tell as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So we'll start with your story, Paris, and... Tottenham initially, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Good. Born in Tottenham. In your show notes, it says that one of your first memories was being locked in a car. Mm -hmm. You had three initial memories and one of those has been locked in a car. Maybe tell us about that. Yeah, so I must have been in between the ages of three or four, I suppose. And uh, I remember being taken out with my dad, my biological dad. Um, We're in this car and it was raining. It was grey, typical English uh, weather. And he basically said to me, wait here for a minute. For a minute. I didn't know where he was going, um, what he was doing. If I look back, what I understand now as a record shop is where he went into. But at the time, I, I had no clue what the building was he went yeah. into. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I was, I was there for hours. He left me for hours and I was trying to smash the window. I was crying my head off, uh, panicking. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's neglect, really. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. Yeah. Crying for help and people were just looking at me, walking past. No one came to yeah. the window. That that being one of your first memories, it's not it's not a good start, really, is it? Not really. No, 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 no not when no, you no. look back at your childhood and that's what you remember. I, I have some memories similar to that. One is being left in a car and it was outside of Bucky's. Mm-hmm. And I was old enough to be able to tell the time. Right. You know, I knew what the time was. And I was in the car for three hours, you know. And it's funny, you see, that's that memory is, you know, 40 years old, over yeah, 40 yeah, years yeah, old. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's still there, you know. You remember some of these significant events, don't that's you? It. On the flip side, to a, a parent or an adult perhaps, it's not a significant memory, but when you're that young... These are your formative years. You're like a sponge yeah. soaking things up. And if you have a bad experience then, quite often, it can take a long time to rinse that Definitely. You know, and get rid of it. You're tuning yeah. your mind into the uh, experience as well. So you're going to attract more of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You also mentioned that you found your mum's medicine. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you know what it was? You know what? I, I've been meaning to ask her. She has told me, but I can't remember exactly what it was. But um, yeah, she was she was down the hallway. I remember she was blow drying her hair in the mirror and I was on the bed. Biological was asleep at this point and her bag was there. So I remember checking down to see if she was looking or not and she wasn't. So I 
I've gone over to the bag, gone through it. I don't know what I was looking for, and I found this pill uh, pill box. Pill box. Yeah. Um, took them out, and if I remember, I think they were red and blue. The capsules, and I, I think I ate the lot. God. Ate the lot, and um, you, see, you're lucky you survived that. That could have been terminal. Well, yeah. It? Well, yeah. I, I, they had to pump me with charcoal. I remember them shoving the tube down my throat. I had like my skin went all not blistery, but. Weird. I remember just looking at it, it'd be weird. I don't know how I remember that because I can't remember anything else. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's, I could have died. Charcoal, if somebody's got severe toxic poisoning or if they've, you know, it can work with certain drugs as well. And, and it's currently my water bottle, which you've just asked me about, yeah, yeah, the yeah, bamboo yeah. charcoal. It, it filters and soaks up and takes all the toxins out of your body, you know. So yeah. to put that in, it's obviously you, you had, um, well, severe poisoning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm still here, baby. Yeah. So then you go to Chingford. Yep. Yeah. Where's Chingford? I don't know. So Chingford is on the outskirts of London and Essex. So it's not quite Essex. It's just literally where Epping Forest is. Have you heard of that? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a mix between the two because you've got Londoners and Essex, Essex Essexes yeah. there. Um, so I pretty much grew up there. I grew up there from the age of five to 12. So I went to, I went to school there when my friends were there, my family lived there. And your mum met your now, well, stepdad, but your dad. You yeah, 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 dad. yeah, 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 yeah. I've got a joke about this in the notes. I've obviously, Liam's been lead and done a lot of acting. I haven't, I've done some acting. I've been in a couple of shows and things, but uh-huh. do a bit parts, small parts. And in the notes, for example, it'll say something and then it'll say um, loud bang or it'll say laugh. And in your notes, you put da 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 and this is my real dad, cry. <laughs> it yeah. read like a script, but clearly it was um, an emotional time. Yeah, it was. It was. I think, um, obviously, as a child growing up without a father figure, um, it was something that I yearned for. So when yeah. this man stepped into my life, I idolised him and I'd... I was obviously really excited that he yeah. was going to be my dad. So yeah. I um, I remember asking my mum and she was like, well, why don't you ask him? And I'd assume obviously she's told him like what's happening. Yeah. Um, so I remember sat, I was sat in his car. He had this sports car. I, I can't, I don't think they even make it anymore. I can't remember the brand. It's something like I've never heard of apart from when he's told me. I'll have to find out. Um, but I thought it was, you know, he used to tell me like it was a Ferrari or something. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. thought it was the coolest thing ever. I remember just sat there chilling with him and I was just like, so like, are you going to be my dad or are you going to be my new daddy? And he was like, if you want me to be. Yeah. Beautiful and, that, Paris. And Beautiful. He, he has, yeah. he's been my dad ever since. Yeah. I mean, how, how old is he now? He's 50 in January. 50. He's only yeah. two years older than me. Yeah. <laughs> I could be your dad. God, I feel old now. Yeah. <laughs> how old are you, Paris? I'm 28. 28, 28. years young. You're a puppy. <laughs> yeah. But in those 28 years, as Liam... Brown, obviously, when I did the show with him, he pointed something out, which was, you know, quite profound is it's irrelevant about how old you are. It's yeah, what experiences yeah, yeah. you have in that time. And some people that are 10 have lived more of a life than some people that are 19. Definitely. So now, Paris, this bit, as I was reading this on my own, I belly laughed on my own. <laughs> and this is where you and your mates get water pistols and you fill them with <laughs> piss. <laughs> you fill them with your urine. Yeah. And uh, tell us that story. 
so it's not my proudest moment. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't tell don't tell many people this one. Um, uh, well, it's too late now. It's you well, that's it. Everyone, everyone's going to know about it now. And it, it's hysterical and it shows intelligence. <laughs> As a young child, you thought, I know. <laughs> I can use this and put piss in it. <laughs> oh, I'll make this weapon an actual weapon <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than a toy. Um, yeah, so... I actually come up in the men's circle the other day when we had to share something that we wouldn't usually tell anyone. So the first week I said something else and the second week I was like, actually, I should have said this. So I told everyone. Mm. Um, but yeah, what we did is we got the water pistols that you get from Christmas crackers, the little mini yeah. plastic ones yeah. and uh, brought them into school. Initially, we filled them up with water, but we got bored of that within five minutes. We wanted to be a bit more mischievous. So uh, me and my friend, we went to the toilet Pissing them, obviously. We were sat there giggling, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. trying to pissing all over our hands as yeah, well, as you can imagine. The hole is very small. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we hadn't quite mastered the art of handling uh, our uh, our tools yet. So yeah, so we filled it up. We've gone out to the playground now. I think it was lunchtime. And we just start squirting people in the face with it, running around. And, and they're none the wiser. They think we're just squirting them with water, right? Um, and for some reason, I suppose it's just being young and naive. We told everyone what it was. Yeah. So as soon as we told everyone, they told the teachers. Yeah. So the teachers like snatched it off <laughs> us, dragged us to the. Um, oh, be like, I've got to tell you off, son, but full marks for ingenuity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, dragged us, dragged us to like reception, rang our parents, and um, the woman said to my mum, "Your son, I've never witnessed something so disgusting in all my life. You need to come pick him up right now. It's an absolute disgrace what he's done." Yeah. And followed following with what I actually had done. Yeah. You're bloody um, kids. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. And then into your life comes this head teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a big impact on you, didn't? Yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, he did. He, uh, he changed my life. He changed my life. I often reflect about him and the way he treated me and uh, what he did for me because, yeah, you know, school. I love I love being at school because I was I was surrounded by my friends, but the lessons um, they didn't stimulate me. I'd always finish everything that we were set early, and then what I'd do is then talk to everyone else. But of course, they haven't finished, so I'd get in trouble for distracting people. Yeah, exactly, and the teacher yeah. wouldn't give me any more work to do. Yeah, I, I can hundred percent relate to this because. It's this question that you're asked, are you intelligent? And some people said, well, I don't know. Or you can be honest and say, I know I was a highly intelligent child. I mean, yeah, yeah, highly yeah. intelligent child. I didn't start school until I was, I think I was six or seven because I lived in Africa. So yeah. I didn't go to school. Oh, wow. Then I came back, I swapped. I went to six or seven different schools and moved around a lot. So mm -hmm. I didn't really embed with certain teachers and things at a young age. And I still ended up sitting my GCSEs and A-levels and exams early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They couldn't give me the information I needed to keep my mind stimulated quick yeah. enough. And consequently, I became disruptive. And I, I said in the pre-show chat, I remember getting a biology book. I read it in two days. I'd done the syllabus in two days. It was, you know, a year's worth of work. Which is and, amazing. Uh, what do I do now? So I started inventing, how, you know, different things you can do with a Bunsen burner. You yeah. know, and I got in trouble for that. So getting, getting what you need as a child is difficult. I know if there's a class of 30 kids, yeah. they learn at different rates and stuff. But this guy cleverly got you interested in the way to really deal with it is extracurricular activities yeah. because if you're doing stuff outside the school that keeps your mind interested it'll keep you out of trouble probably and, yeah, and yeah. chess and i did the same i ended up in chess club you know? yeah man yeah it's wicked so he he sat me down and he basically told me that for two weeks i'd do nothing but sit in his office with him which obviously being 
seven or eight or whatever I was at the time. I'm thinking like, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing ever. I'm dreading it. But he said like, I should really expel you for this. Mm -hmm. So I suppose looking back, I'm really grateful that he didn't. Yeah. Um, and I suppose the reason was because he thought, you know what, let me put some time and effort into this boy. Because yeah. there's something missing that he needs. You saw the ingenuity of yeah. pissing a water pistol. And so, <laughs> no, but it, clearly you're intelligent, but it's not being directed in um, yeah. a managed way. And he, he saw the potential in you. Could yeah, see the, yeah, yeah. the spark in your eye and thought, we, we can do this. You yeah. know? And that, what a beautiful man, because if more people, rather than just thinking it's an auto-disruptive child, he's got the devil in him, he's no use. Not, and, you know, there's a way. Nurtured correctly, yeah. intelligent children create space stations and, you That's know, it. Works of art and things like that. Every every child can do it, but you have yeah. to nurture them. Mm. Um, mm. And that's the problem. Yeah, so I, I had teachers tell me that you know if I carried on the way I was go going, I'd be in prison or be a um, rubbish collector or something like that. Not that I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But that's we call it a bin man. A bin man. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say garbage. Uh, <laughs> garbage yeah. disposal expert. <laughs> yeah, I watched um, I watched loads of american cartoons growing up so sometimes my english i say i used to say sidewalk and trash can uh, yeah, yeah. um so that's why i got stuck with it because like where's the english word for that gun yeah, yeah. um but yeah so he taught me he taught me how to play chess for those two weeks um he spoke to me a lot as well i can't i can't remember what he said but he was he was guiding me and giving me advice and after the two weeks he said to me there's just one thing i want you to carry on doing and i was like what's that he's like keep playing chess yeah. i didn't have a chess board i was like how am I going to do that? He's like, well, we have a chess club. Um, so come to the chess club and I'd like you to be on the team. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know there was a chess club at school. It was during lunch times, I think like maybe two or three times a week. So that meant mm. not playing out in the playground with my friends, playing football or like chasing yeah. each other and doing normal things, pissing in water, uh, water yeah. guns. Yeah. Um, but I said, all right, I listened to him and it was a complete, complete opposite of what I was like, or I thought I was like at the time. So for me to say, all right, it was like... See, an intelligent child as well, when you get introduced to chess, you're like, so just run that by me again. And you explain, and you start thinking, my God, there's millions of combinations yeah, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. infinite possibilities. And if you're an intelligent child, you know, it expands your mind. You start to think, whoa, and you really have to, yeah. you know, with chess, you want to try and think six or eight moves ahead, and that can be you know, a thousand different possibilities. And That's it. it stretches your mind. It's like using your muscles. If you use it, use yep. it you know, it, it grows. So, That's it. yeah. It's one of the things I always believe that I want to teach children now because I know how much it's done for me. I think that's really important that actually kids do pick up chess, even if they don't yeah. play for ages, yeah. just for a bit. So it gets that fire in their brain going yeah. if they didn't have it and it can start connecting. I know from being at school the difference between a teacher that's just going going to school to get paid and one that's actually genuinely yeah. interested and makes you feel special. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you get on with that teacher, if you like that teacher and you have a relationship with that teacher, you learn. When you're in a happy state, when you're enjoying bliss, you soak things up like a sponge. When you're stressed and you're anxious, um, nothing goes in. That's it. You know, so if you're happy, you get along with your teacher and what you're doing is fun you learn exponentially. You learn at yeah. 10 times the rate. You yeah, know? 100%. So a good teacher is is um, amazing, you know. Yeah. Paris, in your notes, you talked about your, you call her your nan, your gran, your nan. And that at this age, then you come to the part of your journey where she's diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. Maybe tell us a bit about how that unfolded and, you know, 
what you were feeling at the time as well, you know? Um, yeah, so I suppose my nan was kind of like my mother figure growing up because uh, my mum was always working and my dad was always working. Um, although they were obviously together, I, I didn't have um, much of a parent structure at home. I only saw them in the evenings, really. Right. Um, so my nan was essentially my guardian. Um, she looked after me. She picked me up from school, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so she got diagnosed with cancer when I was seven. Um, I didn't understand, again, what cancer was really. I've heard people say it, but it wasn't, I didn't, you know, conceptualize it as a serious thing. Yeah. Um, but I remember mum coming home and saying like that she had two weeks left to live. Um, so we need to get ready for her to pass away. That's some blow, isn't it? Because, it, it, I mean, obviously... Any diagnosis where it's terminal and they say yeah. we've got six months or 12 months, but to say two weeks, not a lot of time, is it? <laughs> not at all. It's yeah. like, um, but I think I I buried a lot of my emotions at that age. Um, I think maybe due to um, my biological leaving, I, thought, I felt that I had to look after myself and be strong. And although I had, my mum and my nan looking after me and my, my dad now, I still maybe didn't want to put that trust into other people. Yeah. Um, so in answer to your question, how was I feeling at the time? I honestly can't remember. Mm. It's only actually this year that I realized how I was feeling because I read um, Dr. D. Martini's book, book the, the Breakthrough Experience. And one of the chapters is essentially you go through um, chapters in your life where you perceive it as negative and you balance it out. So you find the positives, you go through like three or four different steps to go through it. And one of the things I balanced out was my nan passing away and I saw the positive from it. Yeah. Uh, but that made me cry ne nearly as much as I've ever cried in my life. Yeah. I, I think for example, you think in two weeks notice, that's terrible, but you had two weeks notice. Some people yeah. get none. Yeah. So you get two weeks to yeah, think, okay, let's make this a very special two weeks and spend some quality yeah, time yeah, with them. Yeah, so yeah. if you can see it like that, it's a, it's a gift, yeah. you know, in, in some ways. So she did. some people get six months and they last seven or some people get a year and they last, you know, maybe yeah. 18. But she two and a half timed it. She doubled it, yep. you know. So she must have been some kind of lady. Yeah, she was. She was incredible. Yeah. Um, something else we were talking about at the men's circle just Friday, this Friday gone she um she came up my intention was to be grateful so what i balanced was i just wanted to be grateful for the people in my life and what i was thinking about was her and how she lasted from two weeks to five years and i realized that the reason that she held on because she was a powerful incredible woman mm -hmm. and something like that wouldn't stop her but it was also because if she had died within those two weeks i wasn't ready to give that support to mum. Mm -hmm. So she died exactly the right time when she needed to go because she knew I was ready yeah. to fulfill the role that I needed to fulfill. Your parents originally, Paris, are Turkish. Is that right? Dad's side, yeah. Your dad's side, okay. Your mother English? Yeah. Right, okay. And you mentioned about your dad's younger brother that was sort of like your older brother, your yeah, uncle, yeah, yeah, in yeah. effect. Yeah. I had an uncle, I say I had, a, I have an uncle Ender, and um, he was my uncle, but he's only, you know, uh, I can't remember, 
three, four years older than me or something. So uh-huh. it was always more like a, a brother than an uncle. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I had. He uh, He's two years older than me. So we went to the same school, same high school. So when Nan was really ill in the last two years of her chemo and whatnot, I was round my dad's side of the families. So my Nan, Babuana in Turkish, uh, is she doesn't have much English. So the communication wasn't there, but obviously Honor spoke English because he yeah. was born in England. So I saw him as a uh, brother role. I always wanted a big brother and he, he showed me a lot. He showed me a lot in my life and taught me loads of things. He actually introduced me to, to porn. <laughs> oh, right. Just to yeah, yeah. share a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Remember. I, think, I think we all want an older brother. Yeah. I, I would have think I would have liked to have an older brother and somebody somebody to guide you a bit maybe yeah and introduce to porn at a young yeah. age <laughs> which is exactly what i needed and then your brother Khan was born he was yeah he was born he was born the year my nan passed away right and how old's Khan? he's 19 now soon 19. to be 20 in march it's a very strong name Khan. yeah, yeah. You know, and the Wrath of Khan is a, there's a few Star Trek movies with Khan in the title yeah. as well, but yeah, really strong name. He's, he's named after Genghis Khan. There you go. I always liked the name Herod, but I was told that, you know, because of history, that it's not good to use that name, but I think it's a really strong name, Herod. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's power in our names and it's not coincidence we're given the names we're given. My name Paris isn't Paris Hilton or Paris in France. It's oh. uh, Prince Paris Alexander of Troy. Ah, I just assumed it was Paris, France. <laughs> yeah. I thought like, maybe that's where you were you conceived. Were conceived yeah, <laughs> you know? that's usually what I get. So, yeah, like I Brooklyn, all this kind of thing. Yeah, you know, but... so not quite a romantic story, but uh, one of history. Yeah. Uh, and then my brother's obviously named Genghis Khan. So I always say to him, I was like, you're named that for a reason because you are a conqueror. Like, you need to yeah. step into the power of your name. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, a really, really strong name that. And I think your name as a child when you're growing up has a big impact on you. You know, yeah. you, you sort of become that person. I was called PJ, Patrick Joseph McBride, so PJ. I was always mm-hmm. called PJ. And if somebody said Patrick, I didn't even turn around. It just wasn't my name. It was yeah, PJ. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then as I got older and I'd, I'd been in trouble and I'd done lots of things and stuff, then I decided to be Patrick again. I thought I'd go with Patrick. And then I became Midnight <laughs> when, I, when I present stuff and when I've been doing the writing and teaching meditation. Midnight is, that's my spiritual name and it represents when the darkest point of the night starts moving towards the daylight. It's a mm-hmm. new beginning, a new start. It's the dawn of a new day. Like it. You know, and that was, that's, was that's how wicked. I saw it. Anyway, anyway yeah. yeah. That's wicked. So yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because growing up, I hated my name. I hated it. I, would, I would despised it uh, to the point where maybe to my early 20s, I struggled to tell people my name. I, I, something was holding me back. What's your name? Paris. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's unusual, but it's defined you because yeah. And I, I, I can, you know, like for instance, Liam, I'll tell him, I'll say, you know, he's a really good looking chap. And I, I can say somebody's a beautiful man. It, none of that bothers me. Other people, some men can't express themselves yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a cool motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> a smooth motherfucker. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. And, I think that name, like you say, as you're growing up, might have been difficult and might have been conceived as feminine and lots of things. Yeah, 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 now, yeah. I bet you're like, I only know one Paris, you know, it's a I cool it. motherfucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's I, a great I love name. it now, yeah. yeah. 
I'm really yeah. happy my mum called me it. <laughs> so who was it that was going to take the antidepressants and you advised them not to when you were a child? Yeah, so that was my mother. Right. So when my nan died, uh, she she took a, a big hit, to be honest. It was, it was you know, it was her mum. And yeah. her mum was very much in her life, helping her through everything, looking after me so she could work. So every, the whole dynamic of her life had to change. Mm -hmm. And also she didn't have someone that was quite um, prominent in her support, her support circle. So her passing away, mum didn't take it. She was very... My mum was an angry woman when she was younger. Um, I remember a lot of times being in the car, like someone would cut her up and she'd be like, you fucking... Like screaming heads <laughs> off, like, come on then, you... Like, she's from Dagenham. I don't know if you heard it, heard of that area. Yeah. Um, so she's, she's, a, she's a Dagenham girl by heart. So she didn't have you know she didn't she didn't do anything she wasn't dealing with it well she didn't have any coping mechanisms that were positive she was smoking i can't remember if she really drunk but not a problem drinking anyway but she didn't do anything positive to kind of process what was going on so her mental health just just declined and it got to the point when i was 14 i think it was 13 14 so a couple of years after nana died yeah. she picked me up from school once and um we went to the supermarket morrison's the I don't know if they still have pharmacies in the supermarket or not. They're doing some. I know they do in Asda. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we went to the pharmacy and she got a prescription. And obviously me being me, wondering what's wrong with mum. Obviously she's got medication. So I asked her and she told me like um, they're antidepressants. And I don't think I really have ever heard of or even looked into depression. I probably heard people say it, but I never mm. understood again what depression was or how it affected people or how you get it. Yeah. So she told me that she had it and the doctor prescribed it to her. And I, I just I just looked at her and I said, you don't need that. I was like, you can do it without it. Please, mum, don't take them. Mm. And she looked at me and she went, you're right. And she just, the, the pharmacy was here. The bin was there. And she just put them in the bin and we walked out. See, I think that's a beautiful story because it doesn't matter what education you've got as regards, you know, even if you're a scientist or a doctor or whatever, the more powerful thing is somebody's energy. And you said to your mom, as a young, you're a child, yeah. and you had a feeling and said, well, I'm not feeling good about this, don't do it. And she listened, she listened. And I think that's beautiful. And the thing is as well, as, as you as you know, antidepressants, they, they prescribe them like they're going out of fashion now, yeah. like everybody on them. And I, I think they're a terrible thing, to be honest. Tablets are last resort. Definitely. There's many, many other options before that. You know, hundred percent. Yeah, but you also had the wisdom. You sort of knew that they weren't a good thing. Yeah, yeah. But I still thought at the time that other medications were a good thing. Yeah, I had no idea of um, you know alternate therapy medications, holistic um, paths. So it's strange that I thought that because I fully believed in paracetamol, ibuprofen, any other drug antibiotics. Yeah. But for some reason, I knew that that wasn't right. Well, <laughs> yeah, again, that's your intuition. Yeah. You know, your mum then, this is the start of her spiritual journey. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. she throws the pills away and decides then that she's going to make some positive changes, make some good decisions. I say successful life is simply this. It's one good decision yeah. followed by another. When you make two good decisions in a row, 
you've got two reference points, you change direction, you gain momentum, and you're off. That's so it. a successful life, two good decisions can change your life. It can move you in a different direction. And you say that she started meditating and you'd take the piss and yeah. as a kid, of course, you know. And at that stage you probably don't fully understand what it is or you know. Yeah. She used to she used to explain to me what it is and how to do it. Oh, come do it with me. She used to go to the garden and sit under the tree. Or it was like a bush. And uh, she'd just be sat there meditating. So when she'd come in, I'd go, woo. <laughs> just like winding her up. Did you have an afro back then as well? Or not? I had, My hair was as long as this, but I never used to brush it out. No, I only no, did no. it a couple of times, maybe for like Halloween or something. Right. Um, so I've got like a chameleon hairstyle. Sometimes I have it afro, sometimes it's down and curly, yeah, yeah. braided, whatever, tied back. Um, so I did, and I didn't. Then my hair fell out when I was 16. That's another story. Really? Yeah, yeah, for uh, for prom. Right, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so she, yeah, she was meditating, doing affirmations. She read a lot of uh, Wayne Dyer. Yeah. I've read almost every single one of his books. Yeah. And what a, the godfather of spiritual transformation. What a beautiful man. He, he wasn't an enlightened being, like I'd say maybe Sadhguru is, or, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but he's a great starting point, a transition for people that want to, you know, they're not happy, they're suffering, they want to improve their lives. Yeah. And some of the spiritual stuff seems a bit airy-fairy to them. He's that stepping stone. And what a beautiful man. I was really upset when he died, you know, really upset. So was she. <laughs> yeah, Wayne Dyer. Yeah, what a guy. So at school, you said that you always thought people saw you as Marmite. <laughs> and that, that made me laugh a lot. <laughs> Is that because you either like it or you don't? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I was very, very uh, outspoken. I wasn't afraid to speak my opinion or how I felt about things, not personally, but if I didn't agree with something, I'd say it. Yeah. So... Some teachers appreciated that, other teachers didn't appreciate that. And I think a lot of my friendships were the same as well, because I just, I like to say, I tried to keep it as real as possible. Yeah. I think brutal honesty is sometimes the healthiest thing you can do. And you don't want to be told what you want to hear. You need to be told what you need to hear, yeah. you know, the truth. That's the way to do it. And in doing that, you'll alienate some people, but then there's, there's other people that will love you for it. I remember one instance where there was a guy in the pub, two guys in the pub, one of these guys, I used to buy my pint every time I saw him, hey, how are you doing and what have you? And then I found out that he'd said to somebody that he couldn't stand me, right? He didn't like me at all. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, it properly knocked me off my balance. I, I, I couldn't believe it that this guy, there was another guy who went in the pub. We didn't speak. We ended up in a punch up, couldn't stand each other. But he'd said exactly what was on his mind. He said, I don't like you. Mm. I don't like anything about you. I don't like what you're saying. We became best mates because... We clearly were similar people. We had different opinions mm -hmm. and everything, but the fact is we respected each other for just saying it like it is, and, and we it. became really good mates. The other guy, I couldn't look him in the eye. I was I was really upset, you know. So brutal honesty sometimes is yeah. the best way. That's all you need. Just be yeah. honest with people. Yeah. And hope for the same in return. You were also a big sport, Billy, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Tell yeah, us some yeah. of the sports you were doing at school. So I was on the football team, basketball team, and hockey team. I played netball in junior school as well, which is obviously mainly girls. Yeah. I tried to join that in secondary school, but of course the rules don't allow it because you can't yeah. mix boys and girls. So I wasn't unfortunately allowed on the netball team. 
Uh, my football career ended in the first year of school because I was a party to some boys that were throwing stones at the other school bus as it was leaving after the game. So I got called to the head teacher's office, running theme, and he said to me, you're not ever going to play football for this school again. So from the age of, what was that, 12, 13, first year, year seven, I probably had played about two or three games. Yeah. I was banned for life and I never... Yeah. Well, I can relate to all of those. Rounders was the thing at my school and boys weren't allowed to play rounders. But if you were naughty, yeah. they actually made you, this is what they did at my school, made you put a skirt on and go and play rounders <laughs> with the girls. Hey, I was naughty a lot. You know, on t intentionally, I'd rather yeah, I wanted yeah, to play yeah. with the girls. Oh, you know? Yeah. Well, I also played rugby and I only got two or three games into the season and... I sort of garroted a guy. I grabbed his top, twisted it around his neck. He was coughing up blood, and yeah, he was banned yeah, for yeah. this. He said, "You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be playing sport. Basically, something mm -hmm. wrong with you." You know, so I wasn't allowed to do that. Football, I played for a long time, and after I left school, we played at a, a pub team. And I, I joke about this, but the pub was called Fanny's, right? Because because the lady used to own it was called Fanny Moss, but we had real men coming Fanny's put on the <laughs> t-shirts, you know, on the shirts. I think it's hilarious. Actually. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So maybe tell us about prom then. It's not in the show notes. What happened? So prom. Uh, so what we did in prom, obviously, it's when you're 16, you do it at the end of secondary school. Mum has this bright idea to get my hair permed, which is essentially making it, making, making curly hair curlier. Curlier, yeah. It's what old dears have, like right? Like wrinklets. Kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously you can't see it now because it's brushed out, but my hair is normally curly. Yeah. So she takes me to the hairdresser as I get my hair permed. It kind of looks exactly the same as it did anyway, just a bit more defined curls. Yeah. So going to prom, I've got this all black suit on. Uh, my mum's put diamantes down the trim. Nice. I've got RVHS <laughs> in diamantes on the back, <laughs> which is uh, Rodan Valley, <laughs> Valley High School. Yeah. You're like a pimp, are you? Yeah, yeah, looking at the picture, awesome. it is a bit like that, to be honest. But I thought I was cool. Yeah. So so that was fine. And then I started sixth form and my hair started falling out. So this was like eight months after mm -hmm. the prom. Went to the hairdressers, told her that I had my hair permed. And she was like, did you get permed again? I was like, no, I was like, you have to like have a follow-up treatment when you get your hair permed, otherwise it falls out. So oh. where my hair was long, and I used to wear a headband. Obviously, the tension from the headband had started snapping off where it yeah. was weak. So I had, my hair was like that long, but I had strands of really long hair for ages. And then eventually, once we realized what had happened, I had to cut the whole thing yeah. and start again. I mean, that's what happened to me. I got my hair permed and it fell out. <laughs> Not really. I, I was lucky then, yeah, yeah. it seems. I'm just, I'm just, uh, just bald. Now, when we chatted before the show, there are so many things in your story, and I had this with Liam as well, were things that have happened to you, yeah. almost identical things have happened to me. And this is a corker. I remember going in a nightclub, it was Ritz's in Bolton, and I was smoking a lot of pot at the time. I was taking LSD and amphetamine. I think those were the only drugs I'd done at that point. Uh -huh. It was early days. Just a few. And we're going into Ritz's, and I had a, it was a, a quarter I had a quarter of drawer on me in my pocket, and mm -hmm. it, but it was like squidgy black, you know. Um, anyway, we're going in and I realised we're searching everybody 
and I didn't have time to get it down my undies without being seen and stuff, so I decided yeah, 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 yeah. to eat it. And I ate a quarter draw, and I, I was about an hour in, it started kicking in, and I, I was tripping for seven days. Seven days I was tripping. I thought, you start to panic because you think, am I ever going to be normal again? Yeah. You lose concept of time <laughs> and stuff, don't you? I you hear know? you. And it was about a week later, I think it was a Friday to a Friday, I came down, and I was laying in my bedroom, and... I was still tripping and I had <laughs> dolphins swimming around me like this and then the dolphins faded away and I, for the first time I thought, thank fuck for that. I was normal again and it was, I was scared at the yeah, end, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. I, I thought maybe it'd last a couple of days, but edibles obviously can last a long time. You know, That's and, it. And if you make, for example, if you're having a cannabis cake, you're in Amsterdam, you're having a cannabis cake or something like that, it's only got like 0.3 or 0.4 of a gram of cannabis in it, you yeah. know, so eating... A quarter of drawer in one, it's a lot, you know. You've done it too, haven't <laughs> you, Paris? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where you were going with that one. <laughs> I have, I have. So 18, I'm going to Amsterdam. My dad's going with his mates and my friend Harley's coming. So yeah. I managed to get hold of an eight for weed. And I only smoked weed maybe three or four times before that from the age of 16 to then, yeah. so two years. You can just buy it in cafes over there and everything, can't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Uh, I've got I've got now the eighth of weed and I messaged my mate Harley and so I was like, what should I do with it? He's like, oh, eat it. So I'm driving at this point. I went to Krispy Kremes, bought myself a jam donut yeah. and I put it in the jam donut. <laughs> this is at the level of your cannabis education at this point. Get a lump of weed, put it in a yeah. cake and eat the cake. Yeah. <laughs> not not decarboxylate the cannabis to produce yeah. this. <laughs> so, so I've done that. I've left it. My plan was to eat it after sixth form. But it gets to lunchtime and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it now. I've got a free period afterwards and then at the end I've got ICT. So ICT was a breeze. Got a good half an hour. I can eat a quarter of a week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've eaten it, told my mates everything's fine. Had the free period. Nothing's happened yet. Get into my ICT lesson. Nothing's happened yet. I'm just there. One of my best mates sat next to me on my computer. On my computer. And all of a sudden... The teacher's talking, but I can't really hear what she's saying anymore. And I feel really heavy and I'm looking around. Everybody looks weird. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> everything's distorted and big ears. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, shit. I'm tripping. Yeah. And I, I'd never take, taken psychedelics at this point. So mm. I wasn't well versed in it. So I'm starting to panic now. I'm here thinking, right is this going to stop? And it's just getting worse and worse. I can feel like my neck's tight, tightening up. Yeah. I can't breathe properly. I'm thinking, oh God, what about if the teacher asked me a question? Does everyone else know I'm high? And it got to the point, it's, it's actually the first panic, uh, panic attack I ever yeah. experienced because the feeling that I got in my neck got to the point where it felt like my artery was blocked and I couldn't feel the blood going through. And then I heard a pop. Yeah. Or it was more like a bang, to be honest. It was like, Pow! And I just stood up. Probably to, just somebody dropping a pen behind me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> some, some other sound. Yeah. I've stood up and just ran out the room to go to the toilet. I've made my way there somehow, put my head under the sink, splashing my face with water, uh, drinking it, drinking it. Nothing's happening. It's not fixing it. So I'm in there for about 10 minutes now. I'm like, right, I've got to go back to class because she's going to wonder where I am. I go back to class and my mate's got my phone in my hand, right? So he's like, where have you been all this time? I'm like trying to explain to him. I'm panicking. I went to the toilet. I've eaten weed. Da, 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 da. And he's like, no, you haven't. You've just gone to meet a girl. So this is how messed up it is. <laughs> this, this girl that I was kind of chatting up, she was stood outside my lesson because she had a free period and we were messaging, right? Yeah. 
So he's gone down my phone and he's seen that I've been messaging her. So then when I've came back, he's not believing me when I'm saying like, I'm tripping yeah. balls right now. I need help. I think I'm going to, it's like something from the in-betweeners. <laughs> and he's going, you're, you're, you're chatting shit, mate. Here's like, I can see her outside. Here's the messages. I'm literally shaking him like, please, mate, I just need to get out of here. Yeah. So he eventually realizes that there's something up. Yeah. I go, takes me to my car because my car's in the, the car park. I lock the door and I just pass out. A couple of hours later, I wake up to all my mates around the car, yeah. banging on the window. So I get up, I'm like, you're right, mate. Yeah. I, my views, I, I, I don't even think cannabis should be illegal. And I, I think anybody that takes any drug, and I, I don't smoke cannabis, but if somebody wants to smoke it, I think they should be able to. It's a yeah. lot less destructive than alcohol. And 100%. The other drugs, most of the drugs that are illegal, good or bad, it should be your choice. You're a sovereign being and what you put in your body should be your decision. You're in charge. You are not a criminal. You might be yes, having sir. fun. You might need help. You might be actually doing yourself some harm. Still your choice. Yep. Nobody else should have the right to tell you what to put in and out of your body. 100%. And I, yeah. I, I, I've said that a number of times on the show, you know. And you're not a criminal. You, you're not harming anybody else. A drug dealer, okay, we could talk about that. And, you know, that's that's you know, a criminal offence. Mm -hmm. But taking cannabis, even taking cocaine and ecstasy, so you're not a criminal. You might be a fool or you might be at a festival and yeah, having yeah. a great time. Depends what you're doing. But whatever, you're not a criminal. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's crazy. I think that's, we've got that so wrong, you know. It's, it's an easy way to put people in prison though, isn't it? Very. And make money off of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now you're off on your travels. You finished sixth form. Yeah. And you're off to... Malaysia? I started in Thailand. Ah. I went to Thailand first. So we actually flew out on Boxing Day. Flew out on Boxing Day, spent Christmas. So I went with my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Spent Christmas at hers and then Christmas at mine as well. And then the next day we left for Thailand, Bangkok. Spent a couple of days in Bangkok and made our way to Koh Phangan. Yeah. For... I, I've been to those places and beautiful places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What goes on tour stays on tour, I think, is the term they use. I mean, obviously, we were a bit younger and we were having a lot of fun. And But, but yeah, what a place, Thailand. Yeah, we went to the full moon party. Yeah, and yeah, we had yeah. mushroom shakes there at the Serenity Bar on the cliff. You get these shakes and we had two of those. And off we went. And it was awesome. <laughs> really good. Really good. So after Thailand, then you went to Malaysia and you said, Paris, this is where you had your first awakening. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so Malaysia, actually, I went there before I went to uni. That was before I left to go traveling. So I went to Malaysia when I was 19. I took a gap year between sixth form and going to uni because really? I was unsure about what I wanted to study. And I wanted some time to chill as well. I'd been doing education forever. Anybody I speak to, I say, take that year then because as soon as you get older... You get a job, proper job, and then you might yeah. get a mortgage or you're in a relationship or you have a kid and something. You only get some of these windows. They only come into your life now and yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, and when yeah. you get the window to travel, travel. Because as human beings, we were born to roam, to experience new people, cultures, yeah. places. Traveling is just one of the best things you can do, you know. 100%. Yeah. So I tell everyone to do, go somewhere and see something different that you have no idea about. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it can change you. I think traveling and meeting different people in different cultures changes you for the better. You know, I Definitely. went to India. We shot a movie in India and I wasn't in the movie. I was, I think, second producer. They give me some fancy title. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And while we were shooting the movie, we went to Gujarat and they've got no money. Mm -hmm. 
very poor. And all they have is clothes and basic food and stuff. And they're some of the happiest, most beautiful people I have ever come across. Yeah. And so anybody that thinks money makes you happy, in theory, then all the rich people are happy and all the poor people are sad. Not true. The less you have, the more you see. That's it. That's it. Why do celebrities top themselves when they've achieved everything they've ever wanted? Because yeah, they realise they're not happy. Yeah. If your pursuit is money, and I say yeah, any man. decision ever made purely for monetary gain is a bad one. Follow your passion first. The money comes second 100%. every time, every time. 100%. So you're in Malaysia. Tell us about your first awakening. So originally we were meant to be going to Thailand, but me and my friend hadn't bothered organizing it. So mum's done her due diligence and found a volunteering scheme for us to go to. So we went to Malaysia. It was four weeks. The first week was right in the deep end. We turned up to this hostel of never... I've only just learned what a hostel was as yeah. I've walked through the door. Turned up for the hostel, checked in. There's no one else here at this point. It was meant to be a group of 20 of us. We're the first two. So we're chilling, chilling. We stayed in Kota Kinablu. Say that again. Kota Kinablu. Kota Kinablu. Kota Kinablu. Kota Kinablu. Kota Kinablu. Yeah, yes. in Borneo. So we stayed there for a night or two. The rest of the gang turned up and we got taken to this village. It was about three or four hours out from the city we had to get a minibus through the jungle then a boat down the river sounds awesome went past all the palm trees the palm trees and the de we saw the deforestation acres upon eight or hectares yeah. of it yeah. and they were telling us about it and how obviously you know orangutans and other species of animals live here and they're being destroyed all this land Terrible. is um mm. infertile because of it so that was like the first thing I saw of like destruction by man. But it was the village where I opened my eyes a bit because what happened was we were in, we got split up into pairs. So I was lucky, I was with my friend. Everyone else got split up and we got put with a family. Yeah. So we get put with our family, we go in there, they don't speak a word of English, we go through the door, they've got like a, a small, one of those old school TVs that were massive, yeah. but it wasn't massive, it was a small screen. And that was it. It was the floor was wooden. There was holes everywhere. Everything creaked. The shower was a bucket at the back in the pitch black, which is the most terrifying thing I've ever had to do because I had to wash, wash myself because it was like thirty five degrees humid. Yeah, monsoon season. But I really didn't want to walk out the back across this boardwalk to go to the shower and wash myself in pitch black. Anyway, so I was I was smoking on the balcony one night uh, with my friend and we we're watching the house opposite us and there were some kids just playing around on just in the road on their porch wherever and they were literally a kid you're not playing with sticks and stones mm. with rags on and the laughter like i can still remember it now as if they're laughing behind yeah. the laughter that i heard joy yeah it was pure yeah. joy and happiness and they were just it was just such pure energy and they were so happy in what they were doing and i was just like something clicked i was like wait they don't have anything yeah and then from that, I started observing the other people in the village and how happy they were and accommodating. And they were just lovely, peaceful people with real joy in their faces. And I was, and I started to realize that money don't make you happy. Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Human beings are the only sentient beings on this planet that go around and they kill everything they come into contact with. They kill animals. They kill the planet, they kill each other en masse. Yep. Then also human beings have 
consumed and caught this disease called greed. Mm -hmm. And they want more and more and more. Material stuff, more than you need. In, in nature, nothing ever has more than its needs. Even lions, okay, they kill but they take what they need. That's it. You know, they don't go and kill 50 other animals. They kill what they Stop need. Stockpile them. Yeah. Human beings, we want to accumulate as much as we can. You can't take it with you. If I've got a lot of something, quite often I'm depriving somebody else of it. It's it's greed and consumed by material wealth and possessions. And until you figure that out, you are going to be miserable. Yeah. Because life starts when you realise that everything you, you know, all the best things in life are free. You know, material possessions weigh you down, you get attachment to them, and then you get Definitely. worried about losing it, create stress, then there's arguments about money, and yeah, yes. uh, that's something we all need to get to, and most of the people I know have, but some still haven't, you know. You Different know. world, isn't it? Yeah, if you still, if you just, some people pursue wealth, and then when you ask them why, they can't even remember why. It's Just all because. they know. They don't even know why they're doing yeah. it, you know. I want peace. I want joy. I want happiness. I want bliss. I want to be around people that love me and make me feel good, and I yeah. want to help people whenever I can. That's a good moral compass, you know. Not not directing your life by what's going to make me the money, most money, what's going to get me the most power, what's going to get me the best job, what are the people going to think of me, my status. That is not the compass to navigate through life. And that's why I always say careers advisors all need to get careers advice <laughs> yeah. because they always point in the direction of the job that's going to make you the most money rather than does this make me feel good and does it benefit mm -hmm. others? Those are the only two questions you need to answer. You know, We get blinded, but I need to make money. I need to make loads of it. Yeah. What do people think if I don't make 50K, 60K, 70K, 100K? Yeah. Yeah. Make 10K and be happy with what you're doing. Yeah. If you're passionate about something, you love what you do, you won't feel like you're working. Other people, you'll emit this positive energy. Other people will be attracted towards you. And yeah. generally, you'll be very successful. And with that, at some point, probably financially rewarded as it well. It part of the parcel. Yeah, yeah. And you just do what you love. It's a simple message, isn't it? Do what you love. Yeah. That's your primary purpose. And then when you're doing that, you can usually help other people and show them as well, you know. I'll stop popping on now, but you can see <laughs> uh, I write about it and talk about it quite I can tell a lot. you're passionate about yeah. it. I like it. Absolutely. It's the key to life. It is the yeah. key to life. It's, it's funny. Some of the things we need to figure out, you can spend, it took me 40 years to figure out a lot of it. Yeah. And it's the simplest things, you know, but, you know, I, I, an old saying is there's, there's no pockets in a shroud. And mm -hmm. I didn't really get that for a long time. And then, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. but there's such wisdom in it, you know, whatever you have, you can't take it with you. Somebody asks you, what did you get for Christmas five years ago? You can't remember. But if somebody yeah. says, do you remember that time we went to Thailand? You're like, oh, yes. Of course you can. You remember, it's about experience. It's experiential. Life yeah. is about experiences, not about watches and cars and money. Yeah, it's nice to have those things, but do they really matter? No. That's it. Anything that you can replace with money isn't really valuable. You know, if you have a watch, but then you lose it, but you can go and buy another one, it's not really valuable. An experience... It only happens once. That's it. You know. Yeah. Sorry. No, don't apologise. I love it. I feel, yeah. I'm feeling it, man. I agree with you 100% what you say. The next part of your journey, Paris, is, you know, I can relate to this again. I mean, we'll go through this journey and there's at least 10 key points that are very, very relevant to yeah. mine. Also similar with Liam's journey as well, with things that have gone on. But you're back. You've come back to this country and you're... You're partying a lot, 
you're taking drink, drugs, you're not happy. And tell us about that part. And you actually, you get raided at the time as well. So maybe talk us through that. So from the age of 18, I kind of, that's when I kind of decided that I wanted to change my mind about how I felt. I didn't understand at the time that I was depressed, uh, but my mum would always say to me, just be happy, just be happy. Whatever you do, just be happy, just be happy. Mum, I don't know what I want to do. Just be happy. Whatever it is, son, just be happy. So I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? It was my 18th birthday. I went to get a tattoo and I wanted it to kind of mark my decision to not feel the way I felt anymore because I'd, I'd go to bed and I'd be crying and I was just generally sad, although nobody knew it because I, I wore this mask. Yeah. Really, really strong mask where people, even today, if I told people that I was depressed, although I've not been, I've not been diagnosed with depression, I'd assume that's what I had if I look back and realize yeah. how I was feeling and how I was acting, they'd be shocked. They wouldn't have a clue. They'd be like, really? You were always so happy. You were always laughing. You were always making other people laugh. Quite often the people that display yeah. that characteristic, it's overcompensating for the fact that they're really unhappy, yeah. isn't it? You know, a lot of people that have taken their own lives are the life and soul of the party, you know, but inside they're dying. Yeah. You know, that's common. And I think a way of maybe the description of depression is a, is a sustained, consistent low mood where you you, you lose all your vavavoom. You don't, you just start to question, why am I here? What's the point? And, yeah, definitely. You know, it's not good. So, so I made that decision when I was 18, my 18th birthday, got my tattoo, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. And then- Where did you put that? On my ribs. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke, but we'll leave it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make that joke on the show. You, I think I get an idea yeah, yeah. what you're going to say. So, so I got that, and then I went traveling and I experienced the whole, you don't need anything to make you happy. So then I came back and I was going into university and I think I had this real conflict in my head of, right, I need to be happy. This stuff isn't making me happy, but what is going to make me happy? Yeah. Uh, so I went through self-discovery in the wrong way because I didn't know how to do it. I was lost. I just went out every weekend drinking, then discovered drugs, started getting into that every yeah. weekend, back to back to back to back. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was just making me feel worse. I didn't realize it because I was just doing the yeah. same thing. Obviously, you're not alone. My generation, definitely your generation. Yeah. You know, if, if I go to sort of a couple of generations before me, these are all druggies and what have you, but, uh, but they were all piss pots as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I drank a lot, obviously, but it was completely normal for the people I knew. We, we took drugs. That's what we did. You know, you know, we went through the rave scene. We were taking pills. We started off with LSD and pills and moved on to various other drugs and ended up eventually, you know, with cocaine and, and whatever. And... It was normal and it, it's common. Everybody does it. And it's the bit where it goes from fun initially to where it becomes destructive. And yeah. then you start to, if you're taking it, not because you want to or because you're having fun, but because it numbs the pain. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can be, then develops into a destructive pattern and it's very negative, you know. So how did you get out of that? What happened, Paris? It's a good question. So I went through... 20, 21, 22, maybe in the same cycle. And to be honest, it was probably my ex. My ex calmed me down a lot. Yeah. I I got with her my second year of uni. Second year of uni, I got with her. I used to work with her behind a bar at the golf course. And we were like yeah. best buddies. 
We went to this rave one night and uh, she stayed around and she said, you do know I like you, right? And it was like, what? Because I liked her as well. We never spoke about but it because we were best friends. You become friends and then you feel like it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we ended up getting in a relationship, but she was, she was much more sensible than I was. So I was kind of like the raging fire where she was the calm water. So, so probably good for you. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. The raid on your house, did that, that calm you down? Because you said that, you know, you had a bit of a scare and then from that point you thought, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, so... So at that point, that was probably when I kind of, I went to this festival and we we could only get X amount of pills rather than just getting a personal amount and we didn't know anyone else. It's like, well, we're only selling here. Yeah. You can only have 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or nothing. So we had them and we took them with us, obviously, as you do. And within, is it Creamfields? Within an hour of being there. I've been Creamfields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pissing it down with rain we were in this tent right in the middle and and we sold a lot within like an hour hour and a half and i made more money than obviously i've ever made in my life at that period of time and yeah it got my brain working in a way that i thought all right i can make money out of this. this is easy i'll just do this every weekend yeah. this is what i'll do i'm having great great fun earning loads of money it's easy what could go wrong yeah so i ended up i ended up buying some more i was just it was strange because all I, I had the intention to do it, I hadn't executed it. So I was holding on to them. I didn't tell anyone really. It wasn't like I tried to sell them. I just had them, but I, I wanted to sell them, but I hadn't. Yeah. There was something that was holding me back and I wasn't quite sure what it was. So I stashed them away in my bedroom and my house got raided. So during the London riots, I only found out the other day actually that it happened up here too, didn't it? Manchester. Yeah. So during the London riots, I intelligently this goes back to what i did with the water pistol incriminating myself <laughs> did something quite naive yeah i uh, i did a facebook status with something along the lines of just had a great day looting come back with a new tv new gucci shoes new phone <laughs> new laptop it was clear it was a it was a done job. in jest yeah. yeah apparently not to the police so yeah. it's, it's a really strange turn of events so what happened was my parents went went away for the weekend and one of my friends was having a house party. So I'd gone back to mine to pick up some of the stuff that I had, grab some weed as well and go round. So I, I stashed it all away and I've gone round to my friends, which was like half an hour away. Not, no, not even that, like 10 minutes away. As soon as I get there, my dad's friend rings me up because he's just come round mine to pick something out, pick something up. He's got the keys. He's gone, there's police here looking for you. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, they're, they're inside the house. Um, they're looking for you. They obviously wouldn't tell him why. So I'm I'm confused at this point because there's nothing I've done that they could know about. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So I'm at my friends now, like absolutely shit in the brick, thinking what what are they after? What have I done? Trying to figure out, can't figure out at all. Wait half an hour, and I, me I message uh, the guy back, and say have they left yet? And he doesn't reply. So I'm like, this is weird. Why is he not replying to me? So I get a call, but half an hour later. And he goes, mate, they had my phone. They saw the message. So they searched your room again. Oh. They'd already searched your room. Because yeah. obviously I'm thinking they're going to find they're gonna find what I have. So they searched my room. They found my weed. But they didn't find the pills that I had. Mm -hmm. I've gone back, seen the, where the box was. The weed was next to it. I don't know how they, they didn't see it. I don't know if maybe they found it and they thought we're just going to not bother, which I don't 
I'd like to believe maybe that's a possibility, but probably not. So, so they obviously took my computer, took my Xbox, took my TV, took everything in my room. Yeah. I had to go to the police station to be interviewed. But as soon as I stepped foot in there, they said to me, yeah, we're sorry for what's happened, but we do have to go through this procedure now. We can see, obviously, you didn't do yeah. X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. We do have to talk to you about the weed. We're just going to give you a caution for that. Here's a list of all the stuff that we took. Uh, do you have any questions? So I had one question. My question was, when you counted my money, because I had some money there that was just savings from uh, that birthday, Christmas, whatever that I'd been saving up. Yeah. And I counted it the day I left. Bear in mind, my parents and my family had gone to Brighton, I think it was. So they yeah. weren't even, even at the yeah. house at the time. So I said to them, right, so there was 440 pounds there and you've put on here, there's 340 pounds. So where's the hundred pounds? And then the other officer piped up and he was like, I was personally there when we counted the money. So I know that it was 340, maybe someone else in your household took it. And I was like, mate, I counted the money before I left and there was no one in the house. So you've stolen it. And he was like, well, do you want to um, make a complaint? So I asked my solicitor and he was like, there's uh, no point. And I was like, you know what, mate, just enjoy the money, whatever. Yeah. Luke, that's very common. I won't say exactly how, why or what I know, but when you get arrested by the police and if they seize things that you've got, yeah. stuff goes missing. And a lot of the time, if it's drugs or money, yeah. you're not going to go back and say, whoa, hang on a minute, I had way more drugs than that. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that going to? Where's this going to? Because yeah, yeah. obviously whatever evidence there is, that's what your case is built on. So that happens, happens a lot. I also... We'd go out on a weekend and I was a drug-taking machine. I mean, it, people that know me well were staggered by... I mean, it's it's not to be proud of, but it's just a fact. I, I took more drugs than anybody that I've ever met. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Anybody yeah. I've ever encountered, way more. And But we'd go on a weekend and we'd, we'd get 100 pills, 200 pills sometimes. There'd be a few of us, four mm -hmm. or five of us. We'd run out Sunday night. We'd go and get another 100 pills, this kind of thing. We'd be doing... I, I won't tell you how much, but big, a lot of cocaine, anyway, a lot of cocaine. And I've had little lads, say little lads, younger lads who talked to me before, because I talk openly about it, and yeah. some came to a meditation class mm -hmm. and they were talking about cocaine and said, oh yeah, well, we, we did an eight ball and we did this and that, and, and they didn't, they just thought it was a bit of a joke. Right. Then we got into a conversation about it because I overheard them and I told them, you know, what I used to do. And then they started to listen, you know, mm -hmm. so they were listening about meditation. Once they yeah, realized yeah. that I, I'd maybe been where they were and I said, you know, I'd, I've, I've done an ounce on my own, sat in and just done it on my own. Yeah. Right, an ounce, 28 gram on a number of occasions, that kind of, quant you know, that's like a, a serious amount yeah. of drugs. And they were like, that was like six months court for them, you know, so. Yeah. But yeah, drugs, I, uh, ecstasy, it's a funny one with ecstasy because you know, I don't take ecstasy now. I haven't taken ecstasy for a long time. But it's one of the drugs that I used, I used to enjoy taking it a lot. Yeah. And we used to take a lot of it. The back end of it, because then that and cocaine went together, mm -hmm. It, I didn't, I stopped enjoying taking the pills and the cocaine was, you know, it's a very, very addictive. People yeah, yeah, underestimate how addictive cocaine is. Thank you.